Welcome to the latest in our Aberdeen Closed-End Fund podcast series, where we catch up with our portfolio managers to gain some perspective on these complex market conditions. Today, we are focusing on the global real estate market with a manager of the Aberdeen Global Premier Properties Fund, ticker AWP, Mr. Bill Pekowitz. Morning, Bill. Morning, Dan. How are you today? Good, thank you. Bill, it'd be good to start off with just a general overview of the global real estate market. It was a pretty volatile 2022 for broader equities and fixed income. How has real estate fared? Yeah, let's say 2022 uh, was marked with news flow that was difficult for all risk assets. And unfortunately, real estate uh, really was not any different. During the year, you know, we saw... Issues arise on the geopolitical front with the war in the Ukraine. We had COVID issues still impacting supply chains uh, and manufacturing in China. You had, uh, you know, just inflation pressures exploding globally, um, energy prices that were quite volatile, um, and just you know, central banks really you know took a, a change in policy, and we had very sharp rises in interest rates um, across the globe. And all of that led to just increased talk of a recession and what this all meant for asset prices. And, you know, like I said, real estate uh, securities were not immune to these factors. And they also suffered sharp declines last year um, and actually slightly underperformed uh, the broader equity markets. Um, you know, we think when we look back at all of this, the it was the rise in interest rates that drove much of this downward move in real estate prices. Um, you know, buyers were forced to adjust their underwriting and their return requirements uh, for the increase in that they saw in their cost of capital. This led to just a dearth of transaction activity in the second half of the year as both buyers and sellers paused to reassess what they thought uh, their assets were worth and where valuations were. And so this makes it kind of difficult for us to fully assess the impact that we saw. But we believe kind of underlying asset prices in real estate markets likely declined probably roughly around 15% on average last year. And we think you know, there's probably another maybe 5 to 10% of declines uh, left, depending on the property sector and the region as, as we go forward. That said, a lot of this is already fully priced in and reflected in what we're seeing in listed security prices. Um, you know, another thing uh, that, that I think I'd like to, to call out is despite the weakness we saw in the sector as a whole last year, um, you know, there was a very wide variance in performance between various regions and property types. So active managers were still able to generate returns that were better than the benchmark uh, during the year. You know, for example, sectors that had strong underlying cash flow protections and ability to pass through inflationary pressures contractually uh, in the form of higher rents. So something there like uh, like the casino REITs uh, in, in the U.S., which we've talked about in the past, that sector was actually able to post positive returns last year. And then, you know, we also saw sectors that historically are defensive um, amidst uh, economic uncertainty, things like triple net REITs, grocery anchored shopping centers that cater to non-discretionary spenders, and healthcare REITs, they all you know, suffered much smaller declines than what we saw in the overall market. You know, 
office landlords, unfortunately, they were uh, they you know, they found themselves on the opposite side of that coin. You know, they uh, many of them dropped more than forty percent uh, last year, and you know, we think that's the sector that's going to continue that's continuing to struggle with lackluster demand in a post-COVID world and just continuing rising capex needs to keep their existing buildings relevant in the changing world. And Bill, you had mentioned interest rates, and there's been some Fed movement as of late, as we all know, and also some misconceptions around rates or rising rates and how that affects real estate. Uh, could you delve into that a little more for us, please? Yeah, sure, Dan. Um, you know, it, it's commonly asserted that REITs are just destined to underperform um, as interest rates rise. Um, however, when we examine the historic record, we think that this is a bit of a misconception. Although interest rates certainly affect real estate valuations and therefore the performance of REITs, higher rates in themselves don't mean that you have to have poor returns. So, so just because today the uh, tenure, you know, you know, uh, the tenure is north of three and a half percent doesn't necessarily mean that real estate has to do worse than it would have when rates were at, uh, you know, in the one percent range uh, that we were, you know, we go back a year ago. Um, you know, undoubtedly, as we witnessed last year, that shift in um, interest rate policy, those changes do impact the sector as people kind of price in those changes. But and the impact that that will have on borrowing costs and just where um, you know your cost of capital is and how you will what returns you're going to underwrite for real estate. But as we kind of move forward and we get into more of a stable environment, um, even at higher levels, historically REITs are able to once again kind of start to post attractive returns. You know, and we, we think a lot of this just has to do with, you know, unlike bonds where the coupon level is fixed, real estate landlords are able to grow rents over time at a rate that is usually slightly above that of inflation. Um, as such, cash flows uh, and therefore the ability to pay higher dividends also rise in, in time. So, you know, you're getting growth with your income. And we think that is what, you know, allows real estate to be an attractive attractive even at higher interest rates. And so, you know, we think this is something that uh, is going to be more important for investors as we look forward. Also, um, when we look back at history, um, despite like we talked about that initial period of underperformance when uh, tightening cycles commence, you know, REITs, usually when we start to look out uh, versus broader uh, broader markets, kind of 12 months after that kind of inflection in uh, and, and change in rate policy, REITs start to outperform uh, relative to other asset classes. And, you know, we've seen this trend in the early 2000s. We also saw it following the GFC. So we think you know, we're approaching kind of that 12 months after uh, period uh, yet again. So we might be getting into an attractive period for uh, listed securities. Great. Thanks, Bill. And conversely, can we talk a little bit about this looming or pending uh, global recession that seems to be on our doorstep uh, and maybe its impact, uh, if you can prophesize a bit on real estate investing? Sure. Yeah, th th this feels like this is the 
most widely predicted recession uh, in the history of recession. So don't really know if, what that means for for uh, for one coming if everyone everyone assumes it, it, it's here. But, uh, you know, real estate, obviously, it's not immune to the economic cycle and a slowdown in activity does negatively impact demand for space in just about every property type, slowing the growth rates the sector has been enjoying over the last several years. Um, that said, landlords do have contractual leases with their tenants. Thus, the kind of the earnings and the cash flows are much more predictable and stable in the real estate sector than in other elements of the economy. You know, so we're already seeing this very modest downward revisions to earnings estimates in 2023 in real estate versus what we're seeing in some of the other uh, other segments of the equity market. Um, you know, and we think that stability and predictability um, could be a positive factor for the sector as we move forward. The other big thing here, kind of looking at real estate today versus what we've seen when we've gone into other uh, past economic downturns, is that just the underlying fundamentals are much healthier today than they have been historically. Occupancy for pretty much all property types are near all-time highs. Construction activity, it really remains relatively low um, for most property types, meaning there's just not as much competition from that new product um, that's, look, that's gonna compete against you for that fewer number of tenants versus what we've had in past cycles. And so this takes away some of that downward pressure that normally hits market rents. Moreover, and most importantly, balance sheets are just much healthier today than they have been in the past. Um, you know, really we've had the use of variable rate debt is much lower than it was at the start of the uh, financial crisis. Uh, so that means just that movement in rates it's not as abrupt of an impact on earnings and cash flows as it would have been when you have just you know, that variable rate environment. Also, just overall leverage is lower today as a percent of the asset values. You know, this allows landlords to kind of weather the downturn that they might see in demand much better than they would have in the past. So you're not going to get as much for selling activity in the market, which is something that would kind of weighs on uh, underlying asset prices. Looking at it just now at, at real estate and, and the different sectors, we think you know the sectors that are kind of better to, uh, better aligned to uh, weather any economic storm are those with kind of strong secular demand drivers like the industrial sector, um, which we think kind of continues to benefit from the growth in e-commerce, near shoring, changes in the overall supply chain and where we're seeing occupancy levels globally that are, you know, north of 98% today. Um, all of that we think is even if, you know, we see the economy slow, um, this is a sector that we think could still put up, you know, high single digit kind of rental growth uh, and, and continued growth over the next couple of years. And Bill, if I could switch gears for a moment, and maybe we could talk about ESG, meaning considerations of environment, social, and corporate governance. Uh, how does Aberdeen address ESG? Do they implement it into their philosophy? And how does that affect uh, management of real estate portfolios? Yeah. So, you know, that first thing, um, you know, we, we should mention is, is the 
um, averaging global premier properties fund. It's not a sustainable fund. Um, and so as such, it does not have a specific ESG mandate that it must adhere to in its investment process. That said, the fund has always had elements of ESG uh, investing integrated into the process. And we see this as a continued importance um, and a growing aspect of our investment process when we're looking at uh, companies that we're investing in. Um, you know, when we kind of go through kind of those, uh, those underlying components of ESG, the one that is for the longest time been at the forefront of our process has obviously been corporate governance. Um, as investors in real estate companies, in addition to the individual assets that make up these uh, portfolios, we think we are investing with a management team. And so making sure that you know we have the skill to assess the abilities of that management team and their ability to allocate capital in, in a prudent manner, and also to make sure that their uh, their rewards are aligned with ours as shareholders um, are very important. And you know we 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 have seen instances in in the past where misalignments have occurred, where that has been you know tremendous amount of value destruction uh, for shareholders. And so that is something because of that that we have to always have focused on and have that thorough understanding of management, um, their compensation structure and how different classes of investors are being treated are, you know, in our process. Um, you know, that's something that's not really changed since we've begun to manage that fund and, you know, remains kind of a core tenant of our process. For that, we are constantly out there meeting with senior management teams um, and, and assessing them. You know, where our process has evolved and where we're putting greater importance um, has been on the environmental impact and the strategies of companies there. Not only do we believe that there are social benefits to the world that are important for the future um, in having a greener portfolio, but we're seeing that being a leader in these measures um, is increasingly becoming a component of the future sustainability and growth of the cash flows for these landlords. Um, you know, an increasing number of cities and countries are instituting regulatory initiatives aimed at reducing carbon emissions, controlling your water usage, the amount of green space that you must provide uh, when you're constructing new projects, and ability to navigate these requirements and adapt both existing and future buildings to these requirements we think will be a key issue to make sure your properties don't become obsolete and or require just significant capital outlays in the future um, that would become drags on returns. What's more and probably even more important are that tenants are increasingly placing a just greater importance on the sustainability of their workplaces globally. This is an important factor for, for these tenants and for their employees. And because of that, you know, we're seeing having a building that is green certified, those buildings are seeing greater demand from tenants than buildings that do not have those same offerings. And so by doing that, you're going to get a greater demand for your property. And if you have greater demand for your property, that means you will either be able to get higher rents or your occupancy will be higher, all of which we think 
creates value uh, for us as a real estate investor over time. And so because of that, you know, we are thinking that um, while it's not, you know, like I said, it's not a sustainable fund, having this as part of our process and integrated into our analysis and making sure that we are investing with those companies that we think are at the forefront of these initiatives on regional and a global basis will create value over time. And Bill, finally, as we wind down, we talked about rising rates and REITs. We talked about the impact of a potential recession. Um, the ESG considerations, I think, is important for a lot of listeners out there. So in light of all of these scenarios, these situations that we find ourselves in, how do you position a fund like AWP uh, in today's marketplace? Yeah, so um, I, I think first off, I, I like to say that, you know, the downturn of 2022 um, has resulted in real estate securities trading at some of the most attractive relative valuations versus equities and bonds that we've seen in probably the last five years. That said, you know, valuation on itself is not a uh, is not a catalyst. Um, and we think that you know, rising rates and inflation um, and kind of that economic uncertainty that we talked about, it does present challenges uh, for a global real estate portfolio. Real estate remains very much a local business with individual property type fundamentals and economic uh, dynamics often being the key drivers of performance. As such, while taking a slightly more defensive tilt to our portfolio construction currently, we remain focused on our in-depth, on-the-ground research approach to seek out the best property types and markets at any given time. In general, we feel underlying real estate fundamentals remain strong, and real estate historically will be able to increase prices in conjunction with inflation. And due to that, we'll also see lower levels of new construction um, stemming from rising input costs, which is beneficial to existing landlords. As such, we're focusing on sectors and companies where we see opportunity to increase rents, both in the near term and with structural tailwinds that can support outsized growth into the future. That's things that, you know, which we think will lead to higher dividends. So that's, that's investing in things with some things that are shorter duration rents, like uh, the self-storage sector, where there is still strong demand uh, and that landlords are being able to achieve nice rental growth at this point and, and with good occupancy levels. Additionally, we think that things that have structural changes that we're witnessing across the real estate sectors will continue. So non-traditional spaces like cell towers, digital infrastructure providers, those continue to have tailwinds that uh, we think will exist over the coming you know, five to 10 years that will continue to support value creation there. And then, like we've talked about earlier, the just logistics and industrial properties that continue to just have long-term uh, opportunities. Um, so that's kind of where we're focusing the portfolio today. We continue to obviously always, like we always talk about, strong balance sheets, strong management teams. Those things will also be just key drivers uh, of the portfolio. Um, in terms of just how we're positioning globally um, right now, you know, the fund remains overweight to the Americas. We have confidence in the near-term economic health relative to uh, the rest of the globe. Um, we think that the Fed has uh, 
acted quite uh, aggressively and prudently in their efforts to combat inflation. Um, and so we think that this is all supportive of fundamentals for properties in the U.S. and Canada. We've also been increasing our exposure to continental Europe and UK in recent uh, months. And, you know, this was an area where we were underweight uh, for much of last year. And we talked about concerns on the economy there and the impacts that we were seeing. And while we think some of those risks still exist, we just think that the valuations that we are seeing right now where there's a number of companies that we have been investing in, uh, in, in such as in the German residential sector that are trading at, we think, less than half of what the underlying real estate is worth. And so we think that over time, there's going to be value creation there and, and that, that value will be realized. Uh, so, we, so we are starting to increase exposure there. And then lastly, we kind of maintain our underweight positions in Hong Kong and China just due to continued concerns on the geopolitical front and also just some concerns about the ability of some of the developers there to finance their projects. Well, thank you very much for insights today. Very comprehensive. And thank you especially to our listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about the fund, like fact sheets, other pieces of collateral and research, at www.abrdnawp.com. Do look out for future episodes. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.